0: Well, we come to the topic of how can we trust the Bible. Um, next week, it'll be actually Dale coming in. Uh, I don't know if you know, Dale uh, was an a Oxford BA undergrad in science, and he did his master's as well, and he'll be addressing the topic of how can we, is there conflict between science and Christianity? So that's next week, uh, something to look forward to. Uh, but let's pray that God will speak to us today and teach us why how we can trust the Bible. Lord, we thank you that your word is uh, a living uh, word. Uh, We thank you that it is God-breathed, inspired word of God that we can trust with our lives. And we pray that you'll send your spirit, give us listening ears, and give us sharp minds to grasp uh, all the things that you have prepared for us to hear. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, Anne Rice... Is a popular author who's known for her uh, most famous inter- uh, book, Interview with the Vampire. And she was raised Catholic, but she wrote, lost her faith at some point, and she later came back um, to the Catholic faith. And when she was asked why she came back to the faith, this is what she wrote. She talked about the works of Jesus scholars in the most respected universities and how they seem so biased and their arguments so weak. And so she wrote, she wrote Some books were no more than assumptions, piled on assumptions. Conclusions were reached on the basis of, of, of little or no data at all. The whole case for the non-divine Jesus who stumbled into Jerusalem and somehow got crucified, that whole picture which had floated around the liberal circles I, I frequented as an atheist for 30 years, that case was not made not only was it not made, I discovered in this field some of the worst and most biased scholarship I've ever read. And I entirely agree with Anne Rice. I mean, I'm biased, I suppose, as well, because I'm a Christian pastor. But the, the, well, I know that there are good reasons to doubt the Bible, and I know there are people who have hold these doubts. But can we, if, if you have these doubts, Could we, could I ask you to come and really let's reason together. Let's look at the evidence and go, go out uh, and continue your search because I think as you go and search and as you find the reasons for, um, for and against the Bible, you'll find that the Bible is trustworthy. And also, um, we're not going to do a Q&A session uh, right after the talk, but we will do a Q&A session after the service. So if you have questions, and if you still uh, your questions have not been answered, please do remain, um, in, uh, do remain after the service, and I'll try to answer some of the questions that you might have. So bring them forward, and write it down as you listen to um, this talk. But to start out, I want to outline the, uh, how I'm going to go through this. Uh, I'll answer some of the objections that people might have. Or why, give reasons why people don't people find it so hard to trust the Bible as the word of God and authority. And then I'll end with some of the reasons why I personally believe that the Bible is word of God and trustworthy. So, number one, reason number one. This seems a bit cheeky, and I'm sorry. But one of the biggest reasons why I think people distrust the Bible as the word of God is because they don't know what it is. They don't know what the word of God is and what to expect from the Bible. And I think a lot of uh, people assume that the Bible is full of errors and mistakes because they haven't learned to read the Bible, how to read the Bible themselves. And if they knew it, and they knew what to expect from the Bible, I think uh, they won't be so quick to jump to the conclusion that the Bible is full of errors. So, let me start off by saying, that um, explaining what the Bible is. We believe, as Christians, we believe in the dual authorship of the Scripture. We believe that God wrote the entire book, 66 books over 1,500 years of history through many, many different authors, but it was all written by God. We just read today that all scripture is God-breathed, God-inspired, and directed by God. They're all God's words, even the difficult bits, even the genealogies, and the bits that we find hard to understand. And this means that we do have to read the Bible in a different way, than um, we read any other book we have to read it on our knees and we have to ask God to come and help us to read we read uh, in in order to obey it so the Bible is a special book because the Bible is God breathed and it's the word of God but the dual authorship means that it's also God wrote it through people people wrote it human authors of the Bible were not passive Unlike the claims of Quran, the Bible wasn't dictated by God and some people just wrote it down. That's not how the Bible was written. God used people. God used human minds and experience um, and their thoughts, um, their, their, their uh, circumstance and situations. God used all those things to write uh, through these people. And there's a difference, you can tell. I mean, if you go home and read the uh, Gospel of Luke, just read the first couple of chapters and read Gospel of John. There's a difference in their style, in, in their language, in their vocabulary, grammar, syntax. It's because Luke and John were two different people. Luke was an educated doctor, and John was a fisherman. And fishermen's language is a lot easier to read in Greek. So God, God wrote the Bible through people. And we need to consider the consequences of what that means. The fact that God wrote the scripture through different people. So, for example, the Bible contains ordinary language of everyday speech. So we might say, if you go to Central today, you might say, oh, there are millions of people here today. You don't actually, you didn't count how many people in, uh, were in, are in Central. But you're just saying, you're saying that there were a lot of people. That's an ordinary way of speaking. The Bible contains ordinary speech there are times when the book of joshua uh, when the israelites were, were to have conquered the cities completely but then later on in the book of judges we find actually that there are people survivors from those conquests well you know this is what we say as we use language there was complete victory it doesn't mean that there were contradictions there but that there was just a different way a normal way of speaking in the bible the Bible also contains loose and free quotations. So when we see Peter preaching in Book of Acts, it doesn't mean that there was somebody who's recording every word, or God had um, inspired some people to, re- to recall everything that Peter said. Because I mean, Peter's sermon was probably in Book of Acts. If you read it in chapter two, it's about five minutes, maybe. You know, that's not. It's a free, loose quotation and fa- paraphrasing of those words. The Bible contains those. The Bible also will use many different figures of speech, just the way that we normally speak, like hyperbole, simile, metaphor, all those things. When Jesus says you should cut off your hand because if your right hand sin, sins, he's using hyperbole. He's exaggerating to make a point that sin is really bad. The consequences consequences of sin is really bad. It's a terrible thing. And we also have to consider the fact that there are different kinds of writing in the Bible as well. So some of it is history, but some of it is poetry. Some of it is letters, apocalyptic literature, hymns. So when the psalmist says in Psalm 90 that a thousand years for us is like one year for God, he's not talking about some sort of human years and dog years. He's using a poetic language. He's not saying thousand years really literally is one day for God. And finally, because it's written by people who lived in history in a particular culture. We have to consider the historical and cultural context in order to read the Bible. If you take that out, it's very difficult to read. You'll get the wrong message. So, for example, let's take polygamy. Some people believe that the Bible can't be trusted because it has polygamy. It seems to condone polygamy, the practice of one man having many wives. But... um, What that means, really, is that the Bible was written at a time when polygamy was the norm. It doesn't mean that the Bible is condoning it. It just means that the Bible was God God spoke through people who practiced polygamy. And actually, when you go into the Bible and see the teachings of marriage in the Bible, it will say, actually, the marriage is for one man and one wife that the consequences of having multiple wives is never good. I mean, look at the Bible. Read the Bible. So it, it's, uh, these things are enshrined in history, in culture, and we need to learn to read the Bible, uh, on the one hand, uh, as the Word of God, to obey, to listen to His Word, but also we need to read it like we, we read any other historical document. We need to consider the, 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 the context. We need to consider what kind of writing it is. And all that work needs to go on. And I think if people do this work, a lot of these apparent contradictions go away. A lot of their distrust of the Bible hopefully will go away. So the Bible is trustworthy, but people don't really know how to read it. And so the first thing that I want to say is learn how to read it. <laughs> learn to read it rightly. But that's probably not the answer that you wanted or expected, so I'm going to answer some of the more um, traditional objections. So some people think that the Bible is biased, biased and therefore unreliable, biased and unreliable. So um, uh, people believe that the Bible is full of myths and stories that are made up. Um, uh, uh, And it's true that some of the stories in the Bible are made up, So parables, when Jesus tells a parable, that's a made-up story to make a point. But a lot of the Bible claims to be history. Gospel of Luke starts out like this. Well, the chapter 2 starts out. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. And what that is, is history. It's claiming to be history. But the thing about history is that it's checkable. It is checkable. There are things who are fact-checking these things all the time. I mean, the Bible must be one of the most fact-checked uh, documents in the history of the world. There are plenty of things that we can check. And uh, in the Old Testament, uh, there is uh, if you go to the British library, I mean, British museum, there is this thing called uh, Cy- a Cyrus Cylinder. King Cyrus of Persia sent people back to their homelands at so- a certain point, and that's recorded in the book of Ezra. And you see, you can see the, the Cyrus Cylinder uh, in the British Museum. You can see how it corresponds to the book of Ezra. Second um, Kings 20, 20, uh, 2 Chronicles thirty two thirty 30 records uh, Hezekiah, King Hezekiah, digging a tunnel, um, digging a tunnel. And that was built 2,800 years ago. And you can go to Israel today. That's my feet up there. That's my feet. Uh, you can go and walk through the tunnel today. And that was a that was a find. It didn't, it, they didn't know it existed before. And when they found it, they found that there was a Hezekiah's tunnel that, that was recorded in the Bible. There are archaeological evidence for the Old Testament. Now, that doesn't mean that it can be proved in every single way. Archaeology doesn't work like that. But there are sufficient evidence there to make it trustworthy. The Gospels are much attested in history as well. So, for example... There was a, for a long time, there was no physical evidence that the, the governor of Israel, Pontius Pilate, existed. No physical evidence that he existed. But this find, this find happened in 1961. So that's not that long ago. 1961, they found an inscription, um, that, that, Clearly mentions Pontius Pilate with the accurate uh, the title uh, given to him. That title wasn't found uh, anywhere else, and so people thought that Luke was making things up. But that uh, that title is found in that uh, um, in that inscription. The point is. Biblical archaeology is there. Things can be checked out. There are archaeologists whose primary source is the Bible. And you can't do archaeology in that part of the world without the Bible. So there's archaeology, but there's external historical documents that attest to the Bible as well. So for example, Josephus. As a Jewish historian, he writes about Jesus, and that's um, there. Uh, Roman historians like Pliny and Tacitus mention Jesus and his followers as well. There are Near Eastern records of interaction between Israel and other nations. They are there as well. So there are, there's archaeology, but there is also um, extra-biblical material that sort of attests to the history, historicity of the scripture. But some people think then... Um, Sorry, this whole thing is about the text. The first point is about the text. And some people think that uh, you can't trust the Bible because they assume that it was a bit like um, a Chinese whisper um, thing. So, uh, one, somebody writes it down, but then it's, you know, over many generations, it's been changed over time. And you can't, well, we don't know what we have, and we don't know what uh, they wrote. But this, too, is a misconception, this lacks evidence completely. From the very first, you have to keep in mind that Jewish culture was very oral culture, and they took the scripture very seriously. And so when they heard something or when they heard the scripture They memorized it. So even today, I went to um, Israel. I went to Jerusalem to study Hebrew for a little bit. And my teacher could recite most of the Old Testament from memory. So that was the culture that they lived. They memorized these things, and they made sure that what they memorized was accurate. And so it's not just one person memorizing. It's many, many people and checking each other, right? It's not just the oral culture that was there, but there is also manuscript evidence for this. So with the New Testament... As soon as it was written, many, many people started copying these manuscripts. So there are thousands of manuscripts out there. And what that means is you can get all these manuscripts, line them up, and compare them to each other. And you can see where the changes were made. In fact, uh, there's a textual science, uh, people who do this for a living, and they have given us a reliable text. What we got is what people wrote. The text has not been changed. And actually, when they have been changed, and when we know that they have been changed, we tell you. So if you can turn, actually, all the way to uh, uh, end of Gospel of Mark. Gospel of Mark. If you look at at the ending of the Gospel of Mark it'll tell you that that last section has been added. That the earliest manuscripts do not have that section. The thing is, biblical scholars, we're all in the business of trying to find the most accurate word of God. These people aren't trying to cheat you. And when they find that that there are additions made, they tell you. And you can make up your uh, mind about whether to trust that part or not. But anyway, the text that we have is reliable this is what people wrote and this is what sir frederick kenyon the director of british museum and the president of british academy that's as high as you can go director of british museum and the president of british academy says about the new testament manuscripts he writes the interval between the uh, dates of the original composition and the earliest extent evidence becomes so small as to be in fact negligible that the last foundation for any doubt that the scripture had been come down to us substantially as they were written now have been removed. Both the authenticity and the general integrity of the book of the New Testament may be regarded as finally established. The New Testament has not been changed. This is what we got. This is what people wrote, and we have good evidence for that. So you might say, well, the text might not have been changed, but maybe they wrote it, you know, through their biased lens. How can we trust these Christians who are trying to convince other Christians? Did they, why did they write it? Were they self-interested? Did they somehow profit from this? You might ask these questions, and let's just talk, think about once again the Gospels here. Gospel of Mark is the earliest. Um, biography of Jesus, or earliest gospel, written probably around the year 60s. And that's important because that's only about 20, 30 years after, 50s or 60s. That's only about 20 or 30 years after Jesus' death. And this is important because Mark is writing to people who could have fact-checked his claims. He writes about the empty tomb in Jerusalem. You know, people who were reading these things could go to the tomb and see if it was empty or not. They could have checked. Paul says, God, Jesus appeared to 500 people, many of them were still alive. Paul is writing to people who could have talked to these eyewitnesses. and say, There are eyewitnesses who are still living. They could have checked. What Paul is saying, look, if you don't believe me, go and talk to these people. Go and find the evidence yourself. So, Not only that, the content itself doesn't seem like it would be made up. So we believe that Peter is behind the Gospel of Mark. So Mark, uh, through his relationship with Peter, wrote this Gospel. But why, if Peter is behind the Gospel of Mark, think about how stupid Peter comes across in Gospel of Mark. Nobody reads the Gospel of Mark and then goes, wow, Peter was that wonderful disciple. And it's not just Mark. There are other disciples, um, too. James and John, who want to sit next to God and next to Jesus when he comes back. You know, if they are the ones who are writing these things, why are they making themselves look so bad? Think about why the women were the first witnesses of the resurrection. You know, at that time, I'm sorry for saying this women but at that time not we don't believe this anymore but at that time women were not viewed as reliable witnesses because they gossiped and their words were just not weighty in 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 any way but in the bible in the mark in in gospel mark and every other book the the first witnesses of jesus people who testified to have seen jesus first are women why if you're making the story up wouldn't you make it slightly better than that It seems to me that they have recorded these things because it must have happened in this way. And finally, importantly, if you made these stories up, would you really die saying that these things were true? Would you really suffer for the lies that you have made up? Ten out of twelve disciples died proclaiming the resurrected Christ, proclaiming that they have seen Jesus, that Jesus will come back, that he is the Son of God, because they were so convinced themselves they were willing to suffer and die. Peter just Peter couldn't bear to die like Jesus on the cross, so he, so he asked to be crucified upside down because he was so convinced that Jesus was his Lord. Would you die for the lies that you have made up? The early Christians suffer for their faith. Are they? It seems to me that they are. It's true that they are biased. They do genuinely believe that Jesus is the Son of God, but that doesn't mean that they're trying to. That their words are not accurate, or that they're biased, and so therefore they're not unreliable. They truly believed that Jesus was the Son of God and they were writing things that they genuinely believed themselves and they were willing to suffer for it. So, biased and uh, um, biased and unreliable. I hope I've answered some of that question. So you might be convinced now that maybe the text is reliable and the people who wrote them were well-intentioned, but some people might say, well, it's such an ancient book. And it seems so outdated and culturally irrelevant. There's still this idea that some people believe that people who lived 2,000 years ago were just so gullible that they believed anything. You know, but people haven't changed much in 2,000 years. This isn't true, that people believed anything 2,000 years ago. People had no less tough time believing that a person who died came back to life. That was a difficult thing to believe even 2,000 years ago. There was a whole party of people, we talked about them last week, Sadducees who just couldn't believe that there could be resurrection. If you think about the New Testament and what the disciples are saying, they're convincing and they're trying to convince people a skeptical audience. These aren't people who are going, of course Jesus rose again. Of course this sort of thing happens all the time. They're not writing to people like that. They're not talking to people like that. The New Testament is written to convince the skeptics, people who didn't have a hard time that things like this happen. And miracles don't happen every day. But apparently the early church saw something just so miraculous with Jesus' resurrection. They were so convinced, they became so convinced that Jesus must be the Son of God. So if you don't, I mean, if you just dismiss the Bible because you don't believe in the possibility of miracles, well, I mean that's 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 tough. <laughs> but what I would say is, look look at the evidence for resurrection. Look at the evidence for the resurrection. I think it's very convincing that Jesus came back to life, and there's historical evidence for that. But even if you make room for the possibility of miracle, especially the resurrection, people might still say, well, that's fine that Jesus rose again, and maybe some of that is uh, true. But it just seems like an outdated document that has nothing good to say about our culture. For example, we know that the Bible can't be true because of its view on homosexuality. We know better. We know better. Um, its view on women slavery sex outside of marriage these things uh, that the bible says it's some things that people back then people who were less civilized and less cultured and people who were less enlightened believe and we know better and so therefore the bible must be unreliable let me tell you what does that make sense does that argument hold um, if you really think about it isn't it true that the human beliefs and values and standards have changed over time. Many times throughout the history, isn't it true that it will probably, most likely, will change again our views on many of these topics? But if the Bible is the enduring word of God and his values and standards don't change, wouldn't it be true isn't it likely that there will be cer- certain things in the Bible that you disagree with right now because we are changing and God's word is not changing if you allow the nature of the Bible to be the word of God if you allow that po- for that possibility wouldn't it make sense that there will be some things that we find difficult difficult to accept because this is the word of God wouldn't it be strange to have the Bible agree with everything that you think in 2014, as if 2014 was the pinnacle of human existence, that we won't change our views at all? If, you believe, if the Bible agreed with everything that you believe, is it really the word of God? Or is it something that you just hope, it's something that you, you, you are projecting yourself? This is how Tim Keller puts it um, in his book, Reason for God. If you eliminate anything from the Bible that offends your sensibility and crosses your will, if you pick and choose what you want to believe and reject the rest, how will you ever have a God who can contradict you? You won't. A God essentially of your own making, not a God with whom you can have a relationship and genuine interaction. Only if your God can say things that outrage you and make you struggle, as in real friendship and marriage— Will you know that you have gotten a hold of a real God and not a figment of your imagination? So an authoritative Bible is not the enemy of a personal relationship with God. It is a precondition for it. If you have doubts about uh, the Bible because of the content of the Bible, may I just ask, would you allow the possibility that you are not God, that you might know less than God, and if you do, then you will see that it just makes sense that the Bible will challenge our cultural assumptions. Things, there will be things in the Bible that we will find difficult to accept no matter which time in history we live in because God's word will challenge our human fallen nature and culture. And that's what it means to have that relationship with God through Scripture. The fact the Bible contains many moral instructions that we find difficult to grasp affirms the fact that God is, God's word is enduring word of God, uh, not detract from it. So that's a lot to um, understand um, and grasp. But let me just uh, end with a few things that I think, um, I, for me, why I believe that the Scripture is the Word of God and why, uh, uh, why I think we should trust the Bible. So, so far, we've said that the, that the Bible... Um, uh, that has enough reasons to be trustworthy in, in, as a, in its witness and testimony through archaeological evidence. The documents have not changed. People who wrote it seem to really genuinely believed uh, in it, and they tried to be as accurate as they, they could. And if it's God's word, then it will challenge our assumptions, cultural assumptions, as it did 2,000 years ago as well. But there are more reasons than that, I think, uh, why we should trust the Bible. One of the things, for me, personally, I find this really convincing, is that one of the things that amaze me again and again about the Bible is its unity and its beauty. Despite the fact that 66 books are written by writers, most of them who have never met uh, each other, written over 1,500 years in multiple languages, the Bible has a single theme single theme, unifying theme of God's creation, uh, fall, and the redemption. And, you know, it, the way that Genesis 1 connects with all the way to Revelation 22, the way the theme of temple or all, all, all these different things come up throughout the Bible, and it tells of one single story. As I go deeper and deeper into God's Word and learn more and more about His Word, I'm more and more amazed and more and more convinced that God was behind writing this book, that it could not have been by chance. And also this ancient document seems to have truths that are timeless and accurate. It seems to understand, for example, human nature better than many of the philosophers and thinkers of the time so th- at, at times human beings the best of human beings have thought have been really optimistic about human nature at, at times people thought we can bring we can make, uh, make make utopia the perfect world if we try hard enough And other times, people have been super pessimistic about human nature. We're all going to destroy each other because of the terrible things, uh, because the terrible people that we are. But you see, the Bible has a very balanced view of human nature. It says, yes. We are fallen. You can't be too optimistic about your ability. But at the same time, it says you can't be too pessimistic either because you are created in the image of God. That's an enduring truth that's found in the scripture that seems to transcend people's wisdom. So there is wisdom. There is truth that seems timeless here. But not only that, not only that, Now I'm sure many Christians here have had this experience. The Bible is a living document. It speaks to us. And I'm sure it has spoken to you at different times. As you go through rough times or as you're looking for guidance or whatnot, and God, through the w- word of God, speaks to you. And it shapes you. It comforts you. It, 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 it inspires you. It's a living document. Martin Luther has said that the Bible is alive. It speaks to me. It has feet. It runs after me. It has hands. It lays hold of me. And I'm sure that's the truth of many, many people's experience here. But finally, before I go, let me speak to the Christians here who doubt uh, uh, the reliability of the Bible. If you are a Christian and you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, this is not really an option for you, not putting your faith in the Scripture. This is not really an option for you because Jesus trusted in the Bible, the authority of the Bible. Jesus quotes from the Old Testament. He sees his his ministry in the light of the Old Testament. He sees his ministry as a fulfillment of the Old Testament. He believes that the Old Testament was the authority. Remember last week, you, don't, you are in error because you don't know the scripture and the power of God. He believes that the Old Testament is the word of God. And if you believe that Jesus is the son of God, you have to put your trust in the scripture, in the Old Testament. And in the New Testament, before he go, goes to the cross, he makes provisions for the New Testament to be written. John fourteen twenty six says, The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything that I've said. Or similarly, in John sixteen thirteen, When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. And he did. He caused the scriptures to be written. All this, there's a lot. There's a lot of um, literature, a lot of evidence. Um, All this, I've said, um, you, you, you might still not be convinced. But like Anne Rice did, would you examine the evidence? Would you go... There are good books out there. Case for Christ um, is one. Reason for God by Tim Keller, that's another one. There are many, many good books and websites and blogs and all sorts of things out there. Would you examine? Would you weigh the evidence? You might find that the scripture is a historically reliable document that hasn't changed. That's trustworthy. But more importantly than that, if you still doubt the the trustworthiness of the Bible. Would I challenge you? Could I challenge you to come to Christianity Explored? Come and read the Gospel of Mark together. Could you? If you don't want to come, read. Could you read one of the Gospels? Just take up one of the Gospels and start reading it, because the Bible is a living Word of God, and you will have. You might have the the experience that many many thousands of people throughout uh, history uh, 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 have had, which is. Jesus coming out of those pages and, 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 and telling you that he is a trustworthy, wise, uh, amazing uh, person um, that you can, trust, uh, you can trust and put your life um, into his hands, you might be convinced that indeed that he is the Lord. And if he is the Lord, that his words in the scripture are also trustworthy as well. But Let's pray. Let's pray as we end.